with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series, and we are continuing with element three. This will be part D, and we are going to be dealing, hopefully, we'll get to, the, we may end up having a part E and, um, because I forgot to put some things in, so we may not get to antinomianism versus theonomy today. We'll see if we get that far. However, uh, very pertinent to that discussion is Jesus' uh, dialogue in Matthew 15, 1 through 20, and the parallel of it in Mark chapter 7, 1 through 23. Uh, if you compare them, you'll note that they're not word for word the same. Uh, however, they are pretty much idea for idea the same. And so I've asked Emily to uh, read Mark 7, 1 through 23 into the record. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the, to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come within, from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. All right, so once again, um, You'll see that the Roman numeral one has the eight essential elements, the outline and overview with all the titles. And then after each title, uh, there's a colon and as brief a facts as I can to uh, fit on one line to summarize them. And we're trying to emphasize 
that the gospel is something that needs to be proclaimed. It's not just something that we can live in front of our neighbors and hope they'll ask us. Uh, it, uh, we In Grace Christian Fellowship, we really favor what I would call pole fishing, kind of uh, leading people and discipling them one person at a time, making disciples, not just decisions, and moving from a disciple or decision model of evangelism to a disciple-making model of evangelism, as Jesus taught, and so forth. And we looked at the attributes of God for a week because we have a very man-centered Christianity today. There's a couple books suggested there if you want to do further study on the uh, attributes of God. I would highly recommend that. We looked at the attributes of man uh, for about three weeks, and now we are on the Ten Commandments. This is actually the 12th lesson in our study so far, and uh, each element has, is not necessarily one lesson. So once we started on the ten, ten Commandments, three weeks ago we said where to find them in Scripture, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. It was highly recommended and a practice of almost all Christians through the centuries that children would memorize those. And I would, and as um, Pastor Wayne McNamara, my friend, says, make sure you encourage them to, to memorize the long version, not just the, uh, the, the short summaries that tend to be on bulletin boards and billboards and so forth. So uh, then we saw that the uh, all the Ten Commandments are further defined with case laws through both Testaments. Uh, then there are summaries of the law. We saw that when Jesus was asked to summarize the law, he didn't invent something new, but he quoted from Deuteronomy and Leviticus in his summer, summary of the law. And uh, Point D on Roman numeral two, I actually forgot to cover every week. I tell myself this is really important. We have to cover this. And uh, for some reason in my attempts to get done in 40 minutes or so, I have not covered that. So more a function of hurrying in my study than hurrying here. So I'm actually going to go back and cover something that should have been covered because it plays into what I hope to get to today. But if we don't get to it today, we'll I promise next week will be part E, the last part on the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to do a series going through each of the Ten Commandments and talking about their implications for today, uh, but I would encourage you to do so. Um, you could start with uh, Rusas Rushdini's The Institutes of Biblical Law, a volume by, in his follow-up volume, Law and Society, a little, about the same size as Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. that would keep you out of trouble for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the thing I want to make sure we understand, because this is one of the best slaps in the face to, to the current climate in the church and the so-called Bible-believing Christianity today, that the law of God doesn't apply because we're under grace and not under law, uh, which is called antinomianism. Uh, one of the clearest slaps in the face to that is all 10 of the commandments are repeated specifically by Jesus and by the apostles. And they are repeated hundreds of times in the New Testament, uh, howbeit in sometimes different wordings. So we're just going to look at a few of those today. And if that takes a lot of our time, then we'll have another week on the Ten Commandments. So let's get into this. Isaiah 29, 13 which Emily actually read already to you when Jesus quoted 
in Mark 7, in, in, Mark, in Matthew 15, when he was quoting how the, if you noticed in the English Standard Version, Emily said, you thus make void the commandments of God by your traditions. And we looked uh, last week and the week before, we looked at Paul's use of, of two Greek words that mean make void or nullify or bring to nothing. And so um, Paul is not uh, creating something new when he says these things. He's simply repeating what Jesus said. That antinomianism uh, substitutes man's traditions and man's legalism, as we're going to see, for the, the actual truth of God. Now, Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 29, 13, and I actually uh, gave it to you with uh, insights from four uh, English translations. The first one is from the New American Standard, and it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Now, the ESV and the uh, New King James, instead of saying commandments taught by men, say traditions taught by men. So you kind of have three translations in that first one. And notice the, uh, the, the phrase, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Many have described, and you've heard me many times say, the current uh, Christian milieu, the current state of the church in so-called Bible-believing Christianity is that there's never been a Christianity in the history of the 2,000 years of the church that has said more emphatically, we follow the Bible. And there's never been a Christianity that that's less true. So uh, that's really where we've come to, partly uh, because of various reductionist theologies that became popular after the Civil War, arising out of what was called the modernist fundamentalist controversy, one part of which is antinomianism. We will visit all the parts of that in the, when we get back to the Kingdom of God series. Uh, later in the series, there's a chapter that's current concepts that hinder the kingdom of God, and we will look at all sorts of reductionist theologies that basically cause us to say we believe the Bible and then gut the message thereof. And uh, that is rampant in the hermeneutical principles that are applied to Scripture today. So uh, the, the New English translation, which is a Pretty fine um, dynamical equivalence translation and easy to read. Says the sovereign master, of course, the Lord is the title there. Maybe they shouldn't mess with that, but I think it makes you think about what Lord means. He's sovereign. And if you uh, want to you get into anything that's uh, rampant in kind of the reductionist theologies today, it's that people don't have a big enough view of God. He's not sovereign. So he made all kind of mistakes in your life. And he didn't care. And so uh, what arises is all kinds of accusations in our heart about how God processed us and how he handled us. And you will shipwreck in the faith if you have that. You've got to get anchored in the fact that God is sovereign and he cares. You will never shipwreck if you don't, if you don't lose a hold of those tricks. You will never go through anything that causes your faith to be capsized. 
So uh, in the NET, he says, the sovereign master says, these people say they are loyal to me. They say wonderful things about me, but they're not really loyal to me. And their fear of me is a commandment. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump back up. Not really loyal to me. Their worship consists of nothing but man-made rituals. And I like that because it's not just about what's called orthodoxy, which is right belief and right worship, but it's about what that eventually works its way out into to, uh, orthopraxy. If you have right belief and right worship, you'll have right practice in your Christian life. But if you don't have right belief and right uh, worship, you will eventually have all sorts of wrong practices. And you will be, as a verse we're going to look at in some more detail later in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, you'll end up holding to forms of godliness while denying the power of it altogether. And so many uh, wonderful people are lost in that sort of a nebulous place with God today. In uh, this kind of stuff, I know a lot, there's kind of this anti-intellectual thing and like, don't teach me big words and so forth. You need to understand this if you're going to love people. Because many sincere Christians are, are caught up in things that, that obliterate their faith without their knowing it. Now, let's look at some other examples of the Ten Commandments being repeated. Jesus said in Luke 11, 42 and 43, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the cheap seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. And so what the Pharisees had reduced their worship to is trying to serve two masters. They wanted the praises of men, and you cannot have the fear of man, and you cannot have the praises of man and have God at the same time. One of the reasons God, every Christian goes through this, when you come to Christ, you will have some embarrassing sins in your life. You've been mean to your wife. You've been uh, a glutton. Uh, that's my one of my struggles, as you know. And uh, you order extra large jumbo pizzas from uh, where did we go yesterday? Uh, Joe's. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when you should be eating uh, vegetables or something. And uh, so we all have these embarrassing things. And right from the beginning of your Christian life, you can either confess which means to say the same thing, or you can hide it. And you will never get started with God in hiding. Until you walk in the light as he is in the light, you cannot have fellowship with one another. And as 1 John says about walking in the light, indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know the Lord, you have to start where everyone else starts, by admitting, I'm a hopeless sinner. I've broken the law of God at all points. And uh, although it, when we are being shallow and obnoxious on purpose, we might debate, like, who came in the most messed up person in the church, it, it's you, it, because, and it's me. And Paul says that he is the chief of sinners, 
Well, I'm hoping that you've come to a place where you might want to debate that point with Paul. Because I think you you have to see yourself as the chief of sinners in order to see your need for rescuer. And whether you were a goody two-shoes who never did anything wrong, you you didn't do it for the right motives. And you need rescued, whether you're an Eagle Scout or whether you're a drug dealer or a murderer or a thief or whatever else covet this person you are. So Jesus is saying, here's what happens with, with uh, antinomianism. He's saying you do all these outward rules, and some of them are rooted in the law, so you should have done them. But you've got to do them out of a converted heart that loves God. And as we'll see as we get into this antinomian thing, the Pharisees, antinomianism leads to externalism. It leads to wanting to control your religious environment, but not wanting your heart to be recreated. You want to go to church. You want a little religion. You, you know, Like the Blues Brothers movie when the penguin lady says to them, you guys need a little churching up. But you don't, you, you don't, and uh, my wife and I love to joke with each other, especially on Saturdays. We, we need to spend some time with the Lord. Tomorrow's the Lord's day, and we need a little churching up. And uh, you need a lot more than a little churching up. You need a rescuer. So 1 Thessalonians, he says, uh, 1, 8, 9. Uh, of course, the first one is Jesus quoting. Now it's Paul. In every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. He's telling the Thessalonians, he's commending them on their conversion and the genuineness of their faith. So he says, your faith has gone forth everywhere. What a testimony. So that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves, those people who've heard about you, report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Now, you never hear anything in gospel presentations today about turning from idols, but the essence of being converted to Christ is to be saved from your idols, starting with the postmodern idols of self. Commercialism, ethical moral relativism, being your own God, exalting man's reason, technology, and science being able to see the logs in everyone else's eye or the specks in everyone else's eye, but not being able to see the logs in your eye. You've got to be saved from that. So many, if you really study what some people call the politics of guilt and pity and the socialism of our day and so forth, there's all kinds of actors, actresses, politicians, rich people, who want to pass laws to change everybody, and they have all kinds of observations about all the politically incorrect injustice things, but nobody is talking about their own sin. It's, you know what? Any adolescent can see the sins in their parents and everyone else. You start to grow up when you can see the sin in yourself. And the law of God is your only hope of ever seeing the sin. The Holy Spirit came to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He doesn't do it in a vacuum. He wrote the law of God. 
Colossians 3, 5, and 6. It says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body is dead to immorality. By the way, if you don't know that the love of God, these verses we've read so far, have to do with commandments 1 and 2. Right? No other gods besides me. No, don't make any idols, right? Uh, Don't take God's name in vain. Don't call yourself a person of God when you don't live it. And keep the Lord, stay holy. Do you know the percentage of Christians who uh, are under probably 80 to 85% attendance on the Lord's Day is phenomenal. In fact, there's this whole movement of the unchurched church, of people who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with Jesus' people or his body. Because they're all hypocrites. And I always say, well, then you should join, because then there will be one more hypocrite. We could change our name to the first church of the hypocrites, uh, seeking God for grace. (laughs) Uh, So that uh, God will close the gap between what we know and believe to what we are. So we won't be such hypocrites. That's why we need the grace of God that we experience by seeking him in his word and his spirit and in one another in the church. So Colossians says, consider your earthly body is dead to immorality, which has to do with thou shalt not commit adultery. Remember, we talked about the case laws, and we talked about how Leviticus 18 and other places in the Old Testament are case laws because committing adultery is includes fornication, it includes pornography, it includes homosexuality. Committing adultery uh, is murder of the family. It's a type of murder. And thank God that he came to save murderers, (laughs) which would include us. You know, I love when people say, well, I never murdered anybody except in my heart (laughs) and by your words and so so many other ways. Um, Impurity. Passion, evil desire, greed. Thou shalt not covet. Which amounts to, all of these commandments amount to breaking the first few commandments. Idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. Now there's a very big movement in uh, several major ways of thinking about the church today that basically says there's no such thing as the wrath of God. I beg to differ. The scriptures beg to differ. Paul, in Romans 1, starts out with 15 verses of salutation or greeting. Then in verses 16 and 17, he sums up what he's going to say for the rest of the, the, the epistle. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then in verse 18, he starts the first of four arguments about what the gospel is, what the metaphysics of the world is, what reality and truth are. And the very first line of his, of his eloquent four, first four chapters on reality 
are, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Because the essence of sin is idolatry. The essence of sin is there. there's none who seeks for God, no, not one. The essence of sin is Adam hiding himself from the presence of God and men trying to atone for their own sins through self-help books as Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves. And men have been trying to uh, hide their own sin ever since. And the gospel says you can come, reveal your sin, open up your nakedness and your shame, and God will accept you only when you do that. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, I decided to hit these issues a little bit since they're so in the news anymore. Or do you not know? Duh. Like, no, <laughs> I, don't, I doubt he was as harsh as that. But <laughs> don't you know? Don't you get it? Uh, hello? Are, is anybody home? McFly. <laughs> don't you know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is the essence of what everyone is saying today? You can be unrighteous and inherit the kingdom of God. You can pray a sinner's prayer and then just continue to live in sin. Now that will build huge churches, but it's really hard to reconcile with the Bible. That's the problem. And I would hate to stand before God and say, well, that's what Pastor so-and-so said. Why didn't you read it for yourself? Are you really going to gamble your, stat your relationship with God, your eternity, everything that really matters in life without reading it for yourself? Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Wake up. Get rid of these ideas. I don't care how politically correct and culturally acceptable they are and how big a church is they build and how much uh, fame they have. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, which the Greek word there is pornographos, pornographers, nor idolaters, we, there's all kind of lists, we've already read some about what idolatry is, but it's not it, living a life where you have a passionate love of God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You're just so-so about God. Really? If there's anything that characterizes today's Christianity, it's complacency. And complacency means to be self-satisfied. And I think complacency is honest like flypaper. I think all of us are struggling with complacency. I struggle with it every day. Lord, put a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I need more of you, God. God, save me from being a lukewarm Christian nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, all of which are breaks, breaking of the seventh commandment. Is that the right count? Six, seven, somewhere in there. Uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, 10th commandment, nor drunkards. 
I'm amazed at how often I hear Christians say things like, well, you can smoke pot and be a Christian. No, you can't. You know why? Because it's quite possible to drink a beer with your friends and have got nowhere near getting drunk. That's why the Bible never speaks against the use of alcohol, but very much against drunkenness. Very much about against drunkenness. And it basically says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, because you can't really do both at the same time. You know, Edwin's wedding is so anointed, and I had one glass of wine at the whole reception over several hours, and, because, and I was drunk in the Holy Spirit until like Tuesday night. But I didn't have a hangover, thank God. <laughs> and my mind was clear, and I didn't do anything I regretted. So, except I did put on about eight pounds at the reception just from drinking water. It was all gone by the next day because it was hot. I drank a lot of water. Um but it was all gone by the next morning. Thank you. Thankfully. Um, nor revilers. What is a reviler? Someone who's disobedient to authority. Parents, elders, bosses. You know, what's the favorite thing at companies? To I'm sure Larry knows this one well. Many of you know this from where you work. It's to rag on the boss and the company. And the whole, the whole movement... Uh, has become, how can I do the least amount of work for the most pay? And how can I rag on how unfair they're being to me? Which shows no wisdom at all because businesses are corpuses. They're corporations. And so when you don't make the corporation prosper, you're giving your job cancer. You might as well lop off your arm if you're not going to be someone who brings more money into the company than you get paid. That's the purpose of the corporation. Revilers, swindlers. Got a lot of that going on today. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Swindling is stealing. Do you cheat on your taxes? Do you steal by, by being on the clock and not being as, as creative and productive and zealous of a worker as you can? Do you, you know, the Bible says if someone doesn't work, doesn't let, don't let them eat. Do you have a job? The only kind of Steelers I'm okay with is the Pittsburgh ones, although I don't root for them. <laughs> Terrible. It's not even spelled the same. Anyway, John 14, 15, 21. Now here, I, I've never, I've, I've been a Christian 41 years. I listen to lots of podcasts. I read sermons. I read quite a few last night in preparing for this. In fact, I read, I, I read for hours preparing for this. That's, I didn't even start actually doing the putting it together till five this morning. But um, I've never heard a sermon on these verses. Never. It's if we just want to rip them out of the Bible. 
John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Hopefully we've learned to read the reverse negative by now. So that's, guess what? If you don't keep his commandments, you don't love him. You can't sin and be loving God at the same time. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose. Uh, ESV says manifest, and so does the New King James. Uh, NET says reveal myself to him. What a promise. You want to be an abodist? I always say, you know, everyone wants revival. I don't. I want to, I want to abide. I want a walk with God in the type of Christian community where the maturity is always growing, where the sanctification is always growing, where the anointing is always growing, where the presence of God is always growing. I'm reading a very provocative verse. I, I, I really think some people don't understand what we're trying to do, and if you don't, read Slow Church. It's a great book, although there's lots I maybe wouldn't agree with it. The overall concept is fantastic. You know... Slow church. I am an abodist, <laughs> not a Buddhist. <laughs> I, I want a place where the glory of God dwells in my home, in my heart, in my relationships, in our church, in our ministries. I'm not particularly concerned about whether the fruit is large. I'm concerned about the quality of it. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Flip over. Okay, so I should have covered all that three Sundays ago. There's another place you can find the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Everywhere is the point. You would have to have something skinnier than the Jefferson Bible. You know, Thomas Jefferson didn't believe in the supernatural, so he wrote a uh, Bible uh, that was called the Jefferson Bible where he took out all the miracles and supernatural and so forth. It's a very, very thin little book. But if you take out the commandments, I I don't know what you'd have. Probably have the menu at Spaghetti Warehouse or something. I don't know what you'd have. You would have nothing. You got nothing. So we looked at uh, Jesus and Paul and the Ten Commandments, and uh, I want to repeat what Jesus said. We won't. Uh, I've given you the scriptures that we highlighted with Paul. Uh, I didn't. I didn't take time, space on the outline to reprint them. You, they're in your Bible and they're in the previous outlines. But we need to look at this again because this takes us right into what we're going to be talking about today. Do not think that if I get that far, probably not. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that. That's the, that's the essence of American Christianity, that Jesus uh, didn't like the Pharisees because they were into the law. No, he didn't like their abrogation of the law. By the way, the prophets, what do the prophets are about? We like have all these end-time prophecy things, and the prophets are about some, you know, cosmic predictions of the future and craziness. The prophets call Judah... Israel and the other nations 
back to faithfulness to their covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who made covenant with them in giving them the Ten Commandments and back to faithfulness to those commandments. That's it. That's their message. And they warn of, of a threefold progressive judgment for nations that don't do that. They will have increasingly natural disasters. The land will spit them out. And they'll have all sorts of scientific explanations like global warming for it. But the fact is, we have the last 25 years have seen an unprecedented increase in natural disasters all through America. And if you said this, you'd, you'd be crucified. But the land will spit you out because the, the blood of millions of aborted babies cries out to God from ven for vengeance and says, don't sell my body parts. I'm not to be put into the Planned Parenthood factory and harvested for parts. Don't have a sexual revolution because you can't break God's law. God's law will break you. Ever since we had the sexual revolution, we've had the culture of divorce, and we have all sorts of increasing aberrations sexually. Believe me, there will be a movement for polygamy, and there will be a movement for bestiality, and there will be a movement that says you ought to be able to marry a telephone pole or your Dodge Dart. Of course, a lot of people are married to their car already, but, uh, <laughs> but they want it to be legal marriage. <laughs> you know, believe me, because they, they will... They, Psalm 2, let us throw off the Lord and his Christ. Let us break his chains. They will never be happy till there is no law except whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, to whoever I want to do it to. But the social consequences of that is we have, you know, I used to uh, lead people to Christ in the 70s and 80s who uh, could be basically pretty healthy in, I don't know, one, two, three, four years. Now it's usually seven, 10, 15 years because everybody's broken and everything is broken. And even the people growing up in evangelical families are broken and they're broken on big, big levels. Now, Thank God for his grace, and the church will be restored, and the church is up to the task. If it, if it, if it recovers the, the will of God and, and this, the things we're talking about. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, antinomians, and teaches others to do so, antinomians, shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you really want to teach what is being taught in Bible-believing Christianity today? and be called least in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Paul talks about the, the laws are tutor to lead us to Christ, and I wouldn't have known sin except the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Those are a summary of some of those verses. Uh, then we looked at three ongoing purposes of the law, which we won't get into, but I just need you to know the law does apply to societies and nations. Let's see if I can't get into a little bit of antinomianism in seven minutes and then, and then hit it again next week. Uh, first of all, let's define it. Antinomianism is just basically from two Greek words and two Latin words, anti-law. 
And it's the idea that righteousness can be defined by having the spirit. Like I don't need the law because I was born again and I got the spirit. And I, I like whatever, I feel love. I remember on my first LSD trip, I was feeling love. And I was like, wow, I wish I could even tell my parents how much love I feel. <laughs> I'm feeling love. And, uh, but it's based in nothing. It's like being cool. Cool is a bunch of people who banded together who are really insecure. So they said they define what cool is. And they're the cool people in their mind. And there's no standard for why they're cool. And they dress a certain way and they conform a certain way. And they're all you know, follow the pack a certain way and so forth. And then they say, we're the cool people. <laughs> it's like, what? How shallow can you get? That's really kind of what righteousness has become. The problem is, is you still have a fallen nature and you're not entirely sanctified. So you need the law of God. And you need the fulfiller of the law of God, Jesus Christ himself, the ultimate law keeper, to be your standard of righteousness. Because I can rationalize, blame, shift, justify, excuse, make anything. When my wife says you're a blame shifter, I say, well, it's your fault. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, pe people become experts at bad character from a young age. Theonomy just means God's laws, and it just means the commandments of God are eternally true, and they have implications. And they're a standard that exists in the attributes of God and from all eternity that, as Paul says in Romans, embodies all the truth. And they are they are outside of ourselves. I can't look within to find if I if I meditate and do the Eastern things and so forth, and if you just trust your inner feelings, and there's a lot of that, like trust in yourself today. <laughs> really? I, that got didn't get me very far. Uh, <laughs> as a teenager, I really trusted in myself. Let's not even go there. That didn't end so well. Um so here's some implications of antinomianism. The idea that's rampant in the church that because we're not under law, we're under grace, therefore the law of God doesn't apply in righteousness is what I feel in by the Spirit. It's amazing that really super anti-feeling Christians teach and believe that, by the way. ones that would criticize anyone who's into the power of the Spirit as being feeling-oriented. That's the most feeling-oriented nonsense I've ever heard. Now, here's there's two things that happen when you have antinomianism. One is you get performance-based extra-biblical legalism arising from the perversion of the Imago Dei. Now, all those words are very important. I hope you uh, bear with me in taking you through them. Performance-based is, is what Jesus and Paul were against. It's saying that by my own initiative, I'm a pretty good fellow. I meet so many born-again Christians with even Bible degrees and so forth that basically see themselves as pretty good. 
And you haven't even made the first steps into Christ when you still see yourself as a pretty good person. Based on your own performance, because you have to have an arbitrary standard to do that. Every man's way is right in their own sight, Proverbs says. But the Lord, through the word of God, weighs the motives. And there's a lot of people who would see themselves as basically good because they've bought into an extra biblical legalism and they've defined goodness as I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run around with the boys who do and I, I don't drink and I, and I don't have long hair and, you know, whatever, and I dress up for Sunday church or whatever. You, what happens is you, when you negate the law of God, you begin to substitute man's law. Because by nature, you are made in the image of God and you're created out of the image of God and you are a creature of law. So you'll start having laws. And, you know, some rules, like when I'm working on what I eat and so forth, I'm, I make boundaries and rules and so forth. But bottom line is I say, God, change my whole heart toward food so that I would do whatever I do for the glory of God. Because all these rules I put on myself are not gonna are not gonna do it if there's not a fundamental change in my attitudes and motivations and why I'm here and why I'm doing this and why I sit down to eat with the brothers. Extra biblical legalism always leads to a lot of rules about a lot of things that the Bible just doesn't care about. And many of us have been brought up in that kind of Christianity today. I've heard testimonies of, last week I prayed and received the Lord, and I was delivered from drinking and smoking. I'm still nasty to my wife. I'm still arrogant. I'm still uh, lazy on my job uh, (laughs) and so forth. But by golly, I got a haircut. And I bathe more regularly now, which is not a bad idea. Uh, the Hebrews are very clean people, not just for, not just for religious reasons. But um, the, the, pro- the other part of it is that you get into licentiousness. Okay? Now, as a general rule, the evangelical or fundamentalist people tend to, to go toward the extra-biblical legalism. what they call the mainstream Protestant church or the liberal Protestant church that began to embrace higher criticism and Darwinism and no miracles and and that are more like the Sadducees, whereas the the, uh, evangelicals tend to be more like the Pharisees. But if you're a Sadducee, you tend to be more like, well, anything goes because because Jesus said the highest law, law is love. And isn't having several wives more loving? And isn't it more loving to marry, have mirage with the same sex? And isn't it more loving to, shouldn't we concentrate more on our, uh, how we treat our dog? Well, the righteous man is, is compassionate to his beast. Yes, you should treat your dog well. <laughs> but there are billions of people who need your help. I'm all for adopting a dog or something, but. Adopt people. (laughs) 
licentiousness kind of gets into this love redefined and nebulous terms that are always changing culturally and relatively. Now, if you grow up in the legalistic base, you'll, man, it'll do some damage. Oh my God, I'm not righteous with God because there was a dust bunny in my room. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you, it'll mess your head up. But so will the licentiousness or lawlessness because the Bible says sin is lawlessness. And you, uh, Genesis 3, it said, basically you will become as God yourself, determining for yourself good from evil. That's what the church does today. It just keeps re- defining what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow God and and so forth in all sorts of non-specific, non-biblical ways. Even salvation has become salvation from hell when biblical salvation is salvation from sin. It's salvation from the sin within you that's destroying you. And I don't want to just be saved from hell because I wouldn't fit in in heaven. There's so many people who say, I prayed the sinner's prayer because I have this idea that hell is fire and brimstone. Hell is just a, a place where no one loves God, where no one can sense his presence, where everyone is being collapsed by their sin into a smaller and smaller and smaller universe all the time. Read C.S. Lewis's great classic, um, The Great Divorce. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to stop there. We'll pick this up next week, and uh, we'll talk one